Hi, I'm Charlotte Valentine, and this is Fiction Addiction. One addiction that's seriously good for your health. So please join me as we talk books and beyond. Welcome to the launch of my new podcast series, Fiction Addiction, Books and Beyond. I'm Charlotte, your host, and I'm delighted you've joined me for episode one, where I'm going to be talking about a book that's been hitting the headlines everywhere in the last few weeks. It was perhaps one of the most anticipated, controversial and talked about book releases since Fifty Shades Hit the Shelves, albeit for very different reasons. But more of that, and I've probably given you enough clues about which book I'm referring to in a moment, because I want to start by giving you a brief introduction to me and my plans for this podcast series. I'm a published author, and I write thrillers, mystery, and romantic suspense novels, which are the types of books I prefer to read, too. But I like to explore fiction of all kinds, and sometimes non-fiction. And that's what I plan to do in these podcasts, to discuss as broad a range of books as I can. Nothing off limits. And isn't that what makes books themselves special and unique? that there truly are no limits to where they can take us, and we don't even have to move an inch to get there. Books can be a temporary escape from the rest of the world. They can entertain us, relax us, make us laugh, make us cry. And they can make us think. Books play a special role in our lives, whether we're regular readers or occasional ones. As do stories. We grow up with them, starting with the bedtime stories we get told as children. And we also grow up with the books that tell them. And once we fall in love with books, it tends to be a lifetime love affair. It certainly has been for me. I'm a true fiction addict. But why am I launching this podcast now? And why, in an ocean of podcasts available to you, am I hoping you'll listen to mine? Well, I called it Books and Beyond for a reason, because I want this to be more than just another book review forum. There are lots of great examples of those out there already. I will be reviewing books on here, and inviting guest authors, and I'll be inviting guest reviewers to join me. In some episodes, I'll be talking about books that set out purely to entertainers, books that are a fun escape, because we all need that sometimes. But I also intend to go broader and use books as a trigger or a launch pad to talk about some of the big and often controversial issues that life presents us with. Issues that we can sometimes, perhaps more than we care to admit, find ourselves as part of a collective reluctance to talk about. Because writers, and I suggest especially fiction writers, are in a unique position to confront some of those issues through their characters and their storytelling. Because they're telling a story, they have creative freedom perhaps not unlimited and perhaps not everywhere in the world, but freedom to tell it as they want to. 
They can use the lives and experiences of their characters to highlight injustices, challenge the prevailing norms, and at their very best, be forces for change. The bravest writers have really put their heads above the parapet, or maybe I should say their words above the parapet. They've used their written words to give them a voice, and great writers over the years have used their voices wisely to draw attention to issues, to challenge conventional norms, and to move society forward by changing attitudes to class, to gender, to race, to mention just a few. By speaking through their characters, authors can tackle uncomfortable truths, challenge power, and challenge vested interests. They needn't feel shackled by that blind acceptance that that's just how things are. Voices for change and progress have always been important, but I think particularly so today, when we're living in a world where vested interests seem to dominate. Governments, huge corporations, the media and 24-hour news feeds are so often driving the narrative, and worse, they're editing the narrative. More than ever, it seems, our information or worse, misinformation, is being filtered. We're almost being told what to think. It's easy for us to feel powerless, as if we don't have a voice. But authors can speak through their books to challenge the narrative. The only filter is how each individual reader chooses to respond to the words on the page or on the screen. So I'll be using some episodes of this podcast to look at books and their writers, past and present, that I think have done exactly that. But this is not just my podcast. I'm your host, but I'd like it to be a community of views, a platform to share some of those big issues that confront us. And I'd love input from you. So please share with me through email or by reaching out to me on Instagram, which is my main social media platform, if there are things that you'd particularly like to see covered. Or feel free to request a guest slot and join me to talk about them. Your voice should be heard too. So, enough intro, I think. I now declare this podcast launched, and God bless all who sail in her. And for the rest of this episode, it's on to that book. probably guessed it. It's Prince Harry following in his late mother's footsteps with his, as it's being described, 
tell-all memoir, Spare. On track to becoming one of the best-selling memoirs of all time, it was also the fastest-selling non-fiction book ever on its release day in January. And at the one-week point, it was topping just over 3 million copies sold worldwide. So, although it's non-fiction, despite some pretty vocal critics of it, suggesting it contains a fair share of fiction, it's so topical and controversial that I really didn't feel I could ignore it in this opening podcast episode. But before I give you my opinion on Spare, or I should say opinions plural, it's difficult to have just one opinion on this book, I'll declare a couple of things up front to put my thoughts in context. Having said earlier that I like to explore all sorts of books, I don't often read memoirs, and I ordinarily, definitely, wouldn't put a royal memoir on my list of must-reads. I'm not a royal follower or watcher, and not particularly a fan of the monarchy as an institution. Although I had great respect and admiration for the late Queen Elizabeth as a person and for what she achieved in her extraordinarily long and hard-working public life. But she earned that respect. What I have a problem with is the notion of royal privilege being automatically bestowed simply by accident of birth and not earned. It just isn't consistent with the ideal of equality of treatment and opportunity for all, irrespective of birth circumstances. And I cannot feel it's right to treat members of a particular family as if they have some sort of divine right over the rest of us. So all that makes me a very unlikely royal memoir reader. But I bought and read this book for three reasons. One, sheer practicality, because I wanted to feature it in this podcast. Two, because it had me at controversial, that's always a hook for me. And three, most importantly, because there's been so much media comment and background noise about it, much of it trying to convince me I shouldn't read something that's basically the ramblings of a self-absorbed prince, And quotes from it were being thrown around like sound bites, which Harry was claiming were being taken out of context. And that all made me want to see for myself and form my own opinion. Of course, like anybody else who reads this book, I was coming to it after a number of media appearances by Harry in person. In particular, the now infamous Oprah interview that he and Meghan gave that rightly or wrongly, did not go down well with many people, especially people in the UK. Not only was much of its content disputed and resented, uh, it came across to many people as this couple telling their side of a story at the expense of other members of the royal family, but the timing couldn't have been worse, given that his 99-year-old grandfather, the Duke of Edinburgh, was in hospital and sadly died shortly afterwards. And of course the now late Queen was herself looking increasingly frail at the then age of 95. So Harry did not endear himself to people by launching what many saw 
as an attack on his family, and one that the long-standing royal protocol of no comment would limit their ability to defend. And also by using such high-profile media platforms, the very media he seeks to demonise, in order to do so. So with all that as a backdrop to this book, I certainly didn't expect to like it or to find myself empathising with Harry about the events of his life, other than, of course, the tragic death of his mother. But much to my surprise, both things happened to a much greater degree than I could have anticipated. I will say it's a book that's more difficult than most to have a straightforward, I liked it, I didn't like it response to. It's almost too complex for that. And we've lived alongside so much of this story with Harry because he's been in the media spotlight all his life. And I guess that makes it difficult to be detached from it. We've already, in a sense, formed a view of him before we even get to this book. Certainly I had. But I can say that once I started reading it, I was surprisingly gripped by it. So here's a summary of my reaction to it. Firstly, I think it's extremely well written. The credit for that, of course, goes to the ghostwriter, J.R. Moringer. His job may have been a lucrative one, but I doubt it was an easy one. Huge responsibility on his shoulders, given Harry's profile, the sensitivity of the content, and the interest that was bound to follow this book. But he manages to effectively convey the complex family relationships, some would say dysfunctional, and the interactions of this story and the emotions involved. And this is an emotionally intense book. A large part for me of why it was so absorbing. It's also well structured. Uh, For those of you who haven't read it, it's in three parts, covering the three key stages of Harry's life, which I think works well. There are three stages which, in one way, are in sharp contrast to each other, but there are, are recurring themes which are at the heart of this story. The first part deals with Harry's childhood, the tragic death of his mother, and the impact of it on Harry. For many years, he was in denial about it and convinced himself she was simply in hiding and would return. And it's in this part that Harry's lifelong problematic relationship with the media began. Having witnessed the paparazzi's treatment of his mother and where in his adolescence and especially without his mother, he began to feel the impact of living in the media glare. And also where he was coming to terms with his role and position as the spare, who was unlikely, barring another tragedy, to ever become the heir. 
Part two focuses on his time in Africa and his career in the military. In both, he seemed to find great comradeship and a real sense of identity and belonging. It was compellingly written, and I really enjoyed this part of the book. And I felt I was, at this point, getting to know the real Harry as, frankly, an impressive individual. And he was certainly a brave member of the military and protective of his comrades. Interestingly, this was also a phase of his life where I remember his popularity as a royal was riding high. The final part concentrates on his life with Meghan and the events leading up to their decision to escape, not too strong a word, I don't think, the UK and the shackles of being part of the royal family. Again, it focuses on the role of the media, especially the UK press, who initially welcomed the new royal bride as a breath of fresh air, then at some point turned increasingly hostile. For reasons that were never terribly clear, but which Harry clearly perceived as down to palace staffers' interventions and press briefings. And for Harry, there were clearly, and I would say understandably, unwelcome and alarming parallels with the paparazzi's pursuit of his mother. I think it's not surprising that he reacted as he did. And he's coming for criticism for how he reacted, I know. Um, And there were probably points in real time where I was part of the uh, critical fraternity. But I have to say, reading the book and hearing more about what happened, when it happened, how it happened, and probably the people behind what happened, um, that I have a much greater understanding of why he felt he needed more protection and support, which he feels he did not get. So, as I say, I think it's not surprising that he reacted as he did. And 25 years on from Diana, Meghan, of course, got a double hit. Social media trolls were now all over her too, along with the ugliness that is the racism that was almost unashamedly from some quarters uh, thrown at her. And to the extent this book highlights that, almost if it did nothing else, that's an important thing for this book to have done. I'll come back to that. I found this section uh, compelling reading and a disturbing reminder of two big issues that go beyond just Harry and Meghan that we need to address, namely media invasion and racism. It's also in this part of the book that the discomfort in the relationship between the heir, William, and the spare, Harry, begins. Which brings me to the three key themes that overarch this book. Diana, the media, and being 
the spare. Diana is a constant presence throughout, her death and the circumstances of it. Both have clearly informed who Harry is today and possibly ultimately why he chose to write this book. I think a lot of his feelings now go back to all of that. If his mother had lived, I suspect he would have coped with the media spotlight differently. She would have helped him through it and helped him understand and deal with his position as the contingency plan to William. And as he inevitably slipped down the line of succession once William had children and became more and more marginalised, which is another thing that I think is at the root of some of his identity crisis, if I can call it that. I suspect also she'd have mentored his wife, and there's a good chance that if she were alive now, Spare would never have been written. The media, the second overarching theme, they almost take centre stage in this book, and Harry reserves most of his vitriol for them. He clearly still holds them accountable for his mother's death, for his inability to lead a private life, for jeopardising his military career by releasing information about his whereabouts in a war zone and putting him and his comrades at risk, and clearly in their treatment and unrelenting pursuit of his wife, he feared history repeating itself. Again, having read the book, I felt much more sympathy for that position than, if I'm honest, I had previously. And while previously, and having seen particularly the Oprah interview and some of the other things that Harry and Meghan had said, while I never put myself in the, oh, he's just a whining prince category, because I thought the issues ran much deeper than that, and for me, just to complain he was a whining prince flagging these issues, um, ran the risk that I was minimising the importance of the issues. But nonetheless, there was probably a bit of that um, in my mind. I was slightly diluting his message because of who he is. And reading the book really helped me to understand um, that these are issues that we should be addressing and we should not dismiss them just because it's a prince who is articulating them. And finally, that issue of Harry being the spare and feeling like one, hence the significance of the title. I touched on it earlier, so won't dwell on it again, but it does recur throughout the book. It has understandably influenced both his and his brother's behaviour and their relationship and not for the better, especially as they've got older and Harry's position in the line of succession and therefore royal significance slipped and William has moved closer to kingship. The growing pressure of that dynamic is well told in the book. Before I summarise my conclusions about Spare, a quick comment about some of the soundbite quotes from it you may well have heard, as had I. And now that I've read it, 
I better understand Harry's reaction and his claim that snippets have been quoted out of context. One example being the issue of how many deaths he was responsible for when he was in the army. Headlines shouted that he boasted he'd killed 25 people, but when you read the book, he does anything but boast about it. In fact, he regrets that death is a consequence of war and, of course, a major cause of PTSD, something he also writes about compellingly. But he was in a war zone, acting on orders, fighting an enemy, and defending his own and his comrades' lives. To be fair to him, he certainly does not glorify it. And that's me pretty much talked out about this book. If you've read it, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it and the issues it raised in your mind. And if you haven't, I hope you found the overview of it interesting. In conclusion... I know that many people are predisposed not to read this book because of their opinion of Harry and Meghan's behaviour and public comments over the last couple of years. I get that. And I too came at it with mixed feelings and I'm still slightly conflicted having read it. I applaud Harry for confronting head-on the racism to which his wife has been subjected. It's been ugly And for a high-profile book like this to call that behaviour out, I applaud. And he's also right to call out press and paparazzi behaviour that crosses the line of acceptability. It's true that he does include lots of private details about family relationships, and he's come under fire for that. He's been accused of throwing his family, aside from his mother, under the bus. But to me, for the most part, he talks about them with great affection, especially his grandparents, his father and his brother. Yes, he wishes he'd received more understanding and support. And yes, he regrets they were not much more supportive when Meghan was under attack. But my takeaway from Spare is that Harry sees them as products of the institution they're members of, just as he is. They're in the goldfish bowl, just like he is. And their every move and comment is influenced and regulated by the monarchy PR machine and how things will publicly play out in the press and media. Family relationships, such as the rest of us would enjoy, are, I guess, bound to be somewhere between strained and impossible in those circumstances, and perhaps that's the ultimate message I take from this book. Palaces and privilege come at a price. It's not a price I suspect most of us would want to pay. And there ends my first podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time where I'll be joined by at least one guest author, to talk about the issues and inspiration behind their work in more books and beyond. Thank you.